In a way, this episode and the last could seem like they're contradictory, when in reality, they're complementary. In the last conversation, we talked about broad sweeps and how it can be easy for us to walk away from others because of our assumptions about who they are. We explored the reality that sometimes God is inviting us to stay at the table. But in this conversation, we tap into when to walk away. I'm grateful for our guest, Alicia, because her transparency around when and why she chose to walk away allows us to press into what boundaries look like when we're sitting in suffering. There's so much we navigate in this conversation, but the real invitation in all of this is what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that God knows how to navigate our suffering best. You're listening to episode 139 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for the ways that you bring together conversations and connections and just for Alicia and I to be able to connect now. We acknowledge right now there could be all kinds of interferences from technology to yelling kids. And so we just pray that you would protect this space and time. We really want to name that we don't even know what it's being protected for. We don't know what you plan to do with it. So we want to give ourselves over to you, our words, and our thoughts, and our questions. We just pray that you are honored and glorified by this time, but also wherever this conversation goes next. I just pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad we're able to talk because we were having technological issues. And one thing that I've often said is when there's tech issues, then that probably means it's going to be a good conversation. So there you <laughs> I'm picking <go>. on God <laughs> having something in store. But before we jump in, for those that are listening, what would you want them to know about who you are as we start this conversation? Well, I can just give you a kind of list and then you can put together a picture in your head. A homeschool kid turned homeschool mom, which I wasn't planning on doing. Mm. I'm the oldest of nine kids, so I'm really good at being bossy, whether my siblings appreciate that or not, which they usually don't. (laughs) (laughs) I have loved Jesus since I was very, very little, like four. Mm. My story is it wasn't the best growing up. My family was full of a lot of chaos and brokenness and abuse and trauma and domestic violence, substance abuse. And I loved God through it all. And God really, really blessed me with an amazing church. I've always been a creative person. I play piano, write, and I love to just make things like crafts and make my home look nice and all of that. And that I think is something that for a long time, I didn't understand that that was something God really instilled in me, just creativity as something that I can use as worship, but also just to bless other people, whether it's making a cute card that I write to somebody or something as big of a project as like writing a book. I'm married to an amazing guy. He's like, super extroverted and I'm pretty introverted. Mm -hmm. So it's like that ice age quote, she's tons of fun and you're no fun at all. You complete each other. (laughs) That's like me and my husband, but yeah, opposites. He's a blast. He's a pastor. We have three kids. Our story, it's been hard. I've had a lot of things to process. We fell in love really fast and got married pretty quickly. Not super fast, but we were married within a year from the day that we met. And there was a lot to process and learn and unlearn. I am so thankful for where I'm at in my story right now and this season because it's been so wonderful and so peaceful. I mean, life still happens, right? You still have the crazy days, the naughty kids, the weird budget things that come up. But overall, it's been a really wonderful season. And I'm just thankful that I persevered honestly, because I can see I'm kind of on the other end of things now. I'm still healing, but man, it's been a long journey. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. And even in that, there's so much, right? And you said one really important piece pertaining to this series, the Sitting and Suffering series, is you listed all these things that you experienced growing up. But then you said, and I loved God through it all. That one piece is something that people could struggle with because they're like, 
well, did God love you? Because I mean, you were loving him, but he was letting this stuff happen. Or how could you love him when he didn't fix all the situations? And so I'm excited to see where God takes this conversation because that right there captures really the heart of what I feel like all of these conversations have been trying to explore, that we can actually love and be loved by God, even when everything seems to be falling apart. Yes. So I imagine you could actually do a conversation on any one of these things that you just mentioned. But as you've been thinking about our conversation today, has God been bringing some particular things to your heart? Yes, he has actually. So it's so funny when you just told me earlier that you felt called to process your story publicly and just be transparent in that. Mm. I felt that four and a half years ago as well, I started blogging and writing and I've always wanted to be a writer since I was really little. I wrote my first book when I was eight years old and I went to school for English and writing and I love writing, but I never felt called to really process anything publicly until four and a half years ago. It's a very long story, but a long series of events led to my husband and I making the conscious choice to step away from relationship with my parents. Mm. It kind of just happened. And it was almost like God was like, you're done. You've tried everything. You've over communicated. You've had boundaries. You've done all the things that you could possibly do. And now we're kind of at this tipping point almost. I never thought that was something that I would do because I very much wanted to honor my parents, not in an unhealthy way though, not in a, oh, you let them treat you however they want, but in a way that honors God. And I thought, how can I tell my story? How can I encourage other people who are living inside of abusive relationships or toxic relationships? How can I encourage them while still being honoring How can I tell my story in a way that's real and raw and doesn't dance around the edges of reality? Mm -hmm. That has always bothered me too with Christian writers. They don't really dive in or they'll say, oh, I struggled with depression for a while. And then that's it. Mm -hmm. You're like, but, 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 but how did you get out of it? What was it like when you were in the depression? How long did it last? And were there any practical things that you did or lessons that God taught you? And so I really wanted to tell stories while processing and something that I learned, and it sounds so simple, but something that I learned about God through all of it is that he is not afraid of us. He is not afraid of our stories. He's not afraid that what we've experienced is too complex for him to handle or that we're such a big mess. He just looks down on us and thinks, oh man, moving on. No, he is a good father. And if you didn't grow up with a good father, or even if you did, your father is still broken in some ways. And I have had to let God teach me what it means to be a good father. I might start crying about this story, but it was probably five or six years ago. My husband was already at church And I was getting our two little boys ready to go. And it was just a really bad morning. (laughs) They were naughty. They were crying. I was extremely stressed. My anxiety was just completely unmanageable. And I called my husband on the way over and said, somebody might need a swap because like, it's just been a really bad morning. And I told him all the things that were happening. And he was like, all right, well, just come to church. I'll have a cup of coffee ready for you when you get here. And we showed up and our son, his name's Bear. He jumped out of the car and my husband was already outside. He was like outside doing something. And my husband knelt down and he held open his arms and my son just ran to him. And I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me in that moment. That's what I'm like. The days that you feel like you've totally blown it or that you don't deserve a hug, you deserve discipline. I'm just there with my arms open. And that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for our actions. There are. But it was a really powerful moment to me. And there aren't a ton of moments in my life where I feel like the Holy Spirit so clearly says something to me. 
And that was, and I get teary eyed every single time I tell that story because it was really powerful and kind of like a turning point in how I started viewing God Mm -hmm. from the way that I grew up because I did grow up in a Christian home, but God was very scary and far away. And there was a lot of shame and fear and it was very legalistic. I have always been a little bit independent and I ask hard questions. I was like that as a child. And I think my parents sometimes were like, what do we do with this kid? (laughs) And I felt out of place. I felt out of place in my home and in my church. But I knew, I knew that the God that my parents were portraying to me wasn't right. It just didn't add up what they were saying versus what I read in scripture and what I saw in other people's lives. I'm thankful that God brought people into my life to show me what he's like and what his character is like. I mean, it definitely evokes the image of the prodigal son story and how the prodigal son did not deserve to be accepted by the father, not deserve to be loved. I mean, he dishonored his father deeply. Yes. And yet, same deal. He's constantly watching the road and then he runs out and he celebrates him. And that is hard for us because that's not really reflective of human relationships. It's not. I mean, we will celebrate people sometimes, we'll love people sometimes, but there are limits to that. There are boundaries to that. There are spaces in which that happens. And there's definitely spaces in which that's not an option where we will not watch for someone. We will not accept someone. And yet here's God constantly remaining literal love to us, no matter how often we <laughs> dishonor him or forget him. It's such a powerful image. And there's this contrast too, right? Where we're being invited to not distance ourselves from God. But you mentioned something that I think many people have had to navigate, that you and your husband made an intentional choice to distance yourself from your parents, Yeah, which is a hard thing, especially when it's family. Some people, it's an easy thing. Some people, they're like, oh yeah, I'll distance myself from whoever. Some people, it's a huge struggle. But I think for most people, when it's family, when it's close, There's a lot of wrestling and warring that can happen. The question that was just coming to my mind is there's a lot of reasons we can distance ourselves. There's a lot of good reasons. There's a lot of ineffective reasons. There's a lot of bad reasons. How was it you and your husband found a piece about something that I know had to be a hard and nuanced decision? Well, I'll just start by saying that we have amazing friends. Mm. We have an incredible community. I feel like uncommonly blessed in my life to have very amazing friends, lifelong friends. And we have this couple that are really good friends of ours. I lived with them when I was 18. They were my youth leaders. And now they've kind of become like our mentors slash friends. Mm-hmm. We did our premarital counseling. And when my husband and I got married, we made this choice that when we had hard times, we would pick one or two couples that were safe and wise and would always point us back to Jesus that we could go to and ask for wisdom. And this is that couple for us. So they know like everything about my story, every detail. And when we made this choice to step away from my parents, we talked it through with them and it was really helpful just to have that to process. They were really understanding and supportive, but they also always challenged us to never like let our hearts get hard or let bitterness creep in. I think that when you've had such a complex set of circumstances in your life, especially as like a child and a teenager and even into young adulthood, it is really hard to process all of that and speak truth over it and let God into it when you're still deeply in it. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said for releasing that relationship and being like, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I don't love them or forgive them. It just means I need a break. Like my soul needs a break. My heart needs a break. My physical body needs a break. And I think we need to be careful too, to not totally over spiritualize these toxic relationships, because it is physically draining to be in relationships. There are things that happen in your body 
just the simple fact that you use more minerals when you're stressed and you could get really depleted and it can cause health issues, which is what I had happen to me. I have had a lot of health issues um, the last like five to 10 years. And a lot of that it was connected to my lifestyle and things that I was going through, but also just, we aren't just a soul. We are also a body and this world affects both our soul and our body. I think that when my husband and I made that choice to step away, there was this almost physical relief in my body that I had never experienced before. And I have dealt with depression since I was like 12 or 13. And it's been constant. I honestly don't know how I made it through school or even college. I'm not dealing with depression right now, which has been incredible. And I honestly never thought that I would get to that point. I thought this is just going to be my life. And I did try to commit suicide when I was 22. I was so just done. I was so depleted. So exhausted and discouraged. And I was just constantly told horrible things about myself. And it was unrelenting. Even as a young adult, I was told just terrible things, almost encouraged to try to kill myself. I mean, very dark things. When you are living in that for a decade or more, you can't handle that. (laughs) Nobody can handle that. At some point, your body's just like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Growing up, I was always taught that anyone who committed suicide instantly went to hell. I have such a different perspective on that now. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of that had to do with how I was taught to view God, Mm -hmm. a shame-filled, expecting perfection. And every time that you fail, God is just there to punish you and be disappointed in you. People who grow up in a lot of legalism, it's very difficult to understand grace Mm -hmm. and mercy. You know it's there and you can say the words, but it's not in your heart and it's definitely not for you. You can see how somebody else might get mercy from God or grace from God, but you just internalize and your identity is in something false ultimately. Your identity isn't in Christ when you're living in legalism. Your identity is in your actions and what you can do for God. And honestly, it's like all connected. I have had such a journey with depression and anxiety and panic and being diagnosed with PTSD, which I was very embarrassed about because I thought, I haven't, you know, been in a war or anything like that. Why am I experiencing these things in my body and in my mind? But man, trauma is very complex. And I think there's this balance and this tension between taking the realities of trauma and letting them sit inside the truth of who God is and the truth of scripture. There's this tension of the realities of what abuse and a lot of stress does to your body over time. It's really easy, I think, for Christians to go one way or the other because the tension is so hard. It really is. And you don't want to over-secularize, but you don't want to over-spiritualize either. That's something that I've really learned, I think, on my journey that my depression was not just spiritual. It wasn't. I had a lot of things going on in my body physically. We underestimate how much just a long-term, slow, steady, constant, stressful environment, how much that affects our soul and our body. Hmm. Well, what's hard too is depending on our context, how we were raised, what we believe, what those around us believe, like all these then shape this. Yeah. You know, you talked about being in an environment where there's a lot of legalism. Mm-hmm. And so grace and mercy are hard things to grasp. Meanwhile, down the street, there could be someone who was in an environment where conflict was seen as bad. And so nobody ever acknowledged conflict and just allowed things and ended up taking on stuff that maybe they shouldn't have. And 
you get these mixed ideas of who God is and how God works. And while you were talking about our tendency to struggle with this balance of we are living real lives and real bodies, and also there is this spiritual element. Yes. All I could think of was Jesus and how he captured both those elements. I mean, Jesus could have come as this glowing angelic being and did all of his stuff there. But Philippians 2 talks about him coming like us as a person, enduring all the stuff we endure. I think of the times, sometimes it's between the lines, but the times where Jesus was very much aware of his humanity. Moments where he did pour himself out for others, even though he was tired. But then moments where he's like, I've got to pull away. (laughs) I've got to go up on the mountain by myself. I think of the Garden of Gethsemane when he knew He was about to experience not just the worst thing he'd ever experienced, the worst thing anybody would ever experience. And he asked a few of his closest, not just disciples, but friends, he calls them friends, to stand watch with them. And they keep falling asleep. How his heart must have ached. Or even when Judas betrayed him or Peter denied him, like even though he knew that was going to happen, spiritually, he understood the bigger picture. His humanity still ached. And so it's such a hard tension for us to walk. And that's just in general as us people. But when you add on to that trauma, when you add on to that, if there's gaslighting involved, or if there's been things spoken to your identity over and over and over, I mean, realistically, it's hard to know what's even real. (laughs) And so then trying to then figure out next steps can be immensely difficult. Yes. And so I think that's why I really love what you shared about the intentionality around having key people in your life that when hard things happen, we're going to have two couples that we're going to go to. And then what your friend said, as you make this decision, just watch your heart. Because when you said that, it made me think of when Samuel was supposed to go and find the next king and he's looking at all the brothers and God's like, not him, not him, not him. And and it says, God says something to the effect of man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And we often think about it as, oh, yeah, his brothers were tall, but yes. David was small. Yeah. But no, it's much deeper because I think as people, we look at the outward appearance. Oh, Alicia's in this hard situation. She should have said goodbye to her parents a long time ago, right? Or somebody else could say, oh, no, family is important. And outward appearance, we can make a case for things. But what's going on in our heart? We could be doing all of the right things and our heart could be in just a junk place. Or everyone can think we're doing all the wrong things but our heart is actually where it needs to be. You know, it's one thing to make those decisions. How do we stand strong when it doesn't necessarily seem to make sense or it doesn't necessarily fix things or other people are saying, are you sure that's the direction you should go? How do you continue to step forward when you're not given a neon 100% sign in front of you? I got so much pushback when I made that choice. Mm. Initially, like the first couple weeks or even maybe month, Nobody really cared, but when it stretched into months and months and then years, and I will say that at this point today, I did not think this would happen, but I have been working to rebuild that relationship with my parents. Mm. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah. I clung to truth and I clung to scripture and I knew that I could tell that I was starting to heal. And this might sound a little bit dramatic, but it was honestly like detoxing, Mm -hmm. which I've never done, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it was like detoxing. It was really, really hard at first. And then there was this like few months of almost euphoria. I can't explain it any other way. And my creativity just exploded. Mm -hmm. I was creating something almost every day. My husband and I started a business where we were making handmade things and my creativity was just off the charts. But then all of the things that I hadn't processed kind of started compiling on each other. (laughs) And then it got really dark, really dark. My church at the time was very gracious and offered to pay for me to go to counseling. And so I did that for almost a year. I went to counseling once a week for almost a year. It was a huge blessing and just really helped me process and just have a space where I knew, okay, every week for at least an hour, I can say whatever I want to, to mm-hmm. this person and they can't tell anybody mm-hmm. what I'm saying. So just that freedom alone was so helpful practically, but I also needed physical help 
I found a doctor that could help me and would run labs that no other doctor would and started taking supplements and learning about panic attacks. Mm -hmm. She's like, you have chronic depression, you have anxiety, you have a panic disorder, you have PTSD. And I was like, oh, nobody's ever told me that Mm -hmm. before. And it was really relieving to have a doctor say that, like, you're not crazy. There really is stuff going on in your body and it's not healthy. It might be normal, quote unquote, in our society, but it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. And so I've come a long way. I have just had to learn about practical things like taking vitamins, taking minerals, having an iron supplement because my energy, I've always struggled with my energy. I learned that I'm basically allergic to gluten and I have had to be extremely strict about gluten. Mm. Taking away gluten basically took away my depression. Yeah. There's something to be said for the level of inflammation in your body. And I was also exhausted, just completely exhausted from years of pushing my body and feeling so guilty all the time. And I used to like run a lot and I haven't done that for years because I physically have been unable to, but slowly I can feel my body healing and I don't get so tired anymore. I can make it through days without napping. I literally for months and months could not even go a day without napping for hours. And my mother-in-law lived with us and helped take care of our kids because I couldn't do it. It's been hard. (laughs) It's been really hard. And that's part of why I said at the beginning, this season that I'm in, I never thought I would get to this point. I struggled with suicidal thoughts for so long that it was just really normal to me. And I remember after I had our second baby, I had just horrific postpartum depression. Um, It was debilitating in absolutely every way. And I started taking an antidepressant and it was the first time that I had not been depressed in over a decade. Mm. The doctor like gives you a smaller prescription and they're like, okay, so let's try this for, you know, two months and then you can come back in. We'll have a nice long appointment. We'll chat. We'll see how you're doing. And then we'll decide if this is working for you or it's not. And I went to that appointment after two months and I explained to my doctor how I was feeling. I was like, this is amazing. Like I've been sleeping. I don't feel like killing myself all the time. Mm -hmm. And she was like shocked. And I said, is this what it's like to be on an antidepressant? Or is this what it's like to not be depressed? Because I don't know. Mm -hmm. And she said, honey, that's what it's like to not be depressed. I ended up staying on that medication for way too long. And it caused a whole nother host of health issues, which that was really fun to figure out, I'll just say. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) now I'm in a really good place. That medicine worked for me until it didn't. And then it caused a lot of other issues. But man, I have really had to fight for my health and just honestly fight to even be here. The darkness and just the overwhelming, it was like stifling growing up in my home. And it was so full of fear. And there was just this constant idea that if you tell anybody what's happening, you're going to be taken away. You're going to be put in a foster home and you're going to get raped. Like that's what I was told all the time. Like you can't tell anybody what's happening here. And I thought, well, at least I'm not getting raped at home. Nothing could be worse than that. We literally lied to child protective services and police officers who would show up at our house and we would say, no, my mom wasn't threatening to kill us. Or no, my mom didn't just beat somebody with a belt or it was horrible. And what you said earlier with gaslighting and you don't even know what's real, that was so true. And that's a huge reason why I am so thankful for the friends that I have because I have spent a significant portion of my life not being able to distinguish reality from fantasy and just not trusting my own experiences and my own reality because I was told for so long that oh, that's not what I said, or oh, I didn't ever do that. And it was said with so much sincerity that you think, was I dreaming? Mm -hmm. And then you think, no, I know. I know you said those things to me, but there's no admitting that it was ever said. And so you do feel crazy. And that stuff sticks with you. Yes, it does. It does. And I've had to have people literally tell me what you experienced was real. Mm -hmm. And I kept journals through everything. I still have all of them. 
I don't really read back over them anymore because they're so depressing. But when I have read back over those journals from high school or middle school, it is extremely hard to read. Mm -hmm. It makes my heart beat fast. And I just remember those days of thinking, am I crazy? Should I kill myself? Should I have an eating disorder? The only time I really ever remember my dad saying that I looked good or was beautiful was when I was three months into a really severe eating disorder Mm. and had lost a ton of weight. And I was just so stressed at that point in my life, I couldn't even eat and completely lost my appetite. And that was the first time I remember my dad saying like, oh, you look great or you look really good. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) Yeah. There was so much, so much happening and it really does affect your body physically. Yeah. You know, I think what's so hard about all of this is like I could take snippets of this conversation out and play it for someone and they would out the gate, make an assessment of what's going on, why it's happening and what Alicia should do in the situation. We're prone to do that. We want to fix situations. Yes. We want to solve things in our worst moments. We want to control things. Woven throughout what you said is the evidence of how uncontrollable life is. There are some things that we can control, but there's so much that we can't control how other people perceive us. We can't control how other people treat us to an extent. We can't control even our own body sometimes. And sometimes we can't, as you mentioned, control our own minds because we don't know what's real and what's not because repetition of lies. And it could seem like a really hopeless place if that's all we left people with. But that's not what this conversation has been, right? Because in the midst of this, it started off with and has come back to the reality that you are smiling. Like I could see you smiling. Yeah. Like you are able to process with the level of boldness and confidence that you might not have had before. And you have this awareness of God being powerful and loving. Yes. Even if you couldn't explain it. If someone came, which I'm sure this happens, if someone came up to you with the questions like, you were in a Christian household, why did God allow this? And Even if you can't give the answers to those questions, you still know that God is powerful and good. I think it's healthy for us to understand the limitations of ourselves and the limitations even of the self-help section and things like that, that there are good and beautiful and powerful things, but also to know the limitlessness of God. That phrasing is something I've been sitting with a lot over the last month or so, our limitations, but the limitlessness of God, that even in the worst of situations, the hardest of stories, the deepest of gaslighting, somehow God can still work. Yeah. And even if it's not the answer we want, that he fixes it immediately and you never have a hard life, (laughs) that's what we want. He's writing stories. And that was the piece that you said right at the start. I don't remember how you worded it, but something to the effect of at this point in your story, like it implied that your story is still being written. Yes, it is. How would you encourage people to trust that the story is still being written? Because you had moments in life where you were ready for the story to end. Yeah. So part of this was out of your control, right? But How is it that one can be in a spot where they allow the story to continue or they believe the story still continues? I think that can look different for different people. But for me, something that I really leaned into was just the character of God and how he does not change. Hmm. He couldn't change if he's God, you know? Knowing that if God was faithful, then he is faithful now. Mm -hmm. And if God didn't abandon, then he won't abandon now. That phrase, there is no shadow of darkness in him. We know God is holy and good and perfect, but that's actually very difficult to wrap your brain around when you live in such a fallen world and everything you see has something broken in it. Even plants die Mm -hmm. and get diseases, you know? That for me, just clinging to the stories in scripture and also moving forward after that, the stories of the heroes of the faith, people that clung to God and did not give up and saw God's faithfulness. And it's easy when you read back over a story of somebody and you think, oh, they're just in this season where God's teaching them something or they're just going through something hard. It's not going to last Maybe a story everybody knows is like the story of Corey Ten Boom. You read that story and you know the war ends and she will not be in this place 
for that long, no matter what happened during that time that her family died, that she was in a concentration camp, all of those things. You read it and you know God delivers her and he doesn't just deliver her because she was not supposed to be released from the concentration camp when she was. It was an accident. It was like a paper mistake. Two days later, like everybody's killed. Mm -hmm. God didn't just save her to save her. He saved her for a purpose. And her voice has been one of the most beautiful, most powerful voices in our Christian faith in the last hundred years. Her story is incredible. She let God use her. And imagine if she hadn't, if she had just been bitter. Mm. I can't even imagine forgiving the things that she forgave. My heart beats fast seeing certain people or hearing certain things. She actually saw some of the people that terrorized her family. And she let the Holy Spirit move and do his work. And there's only so much you can do. We aren't called to be God. Mm -hmm. we're called to let the Holy Spirit be in us. And it is okay if you don't have the answers. It's okay if you don't know what to say or do. God knows that, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. We don't need to have the words, even me, a writer, I love to write. I don't need the words. It's okay for me to literally just sit Mm -hmm. in stillness and say, I don't have any words. Whatever's in me, that's what I have. A few years ago, I actually had a post go super crazy viral on Facebook, and you might have seen it. It was just a picture of a letter board with those little plastic letters, and at the top it says, Dear Jesus, and then it's a pile of letters, and then at the bottom it says, Amen. Mm -hmm. I was trying to do a post that day, and I had all these thoughts in my head and all these emotions, but I realized I didn't have words. Mm -hmm. I just had all these thoughts and conflicts and fears and questions. And it was too much for words. And so I was going to post a prayer on this letter board. And I ended up just spilling all the letters I had and snapping a picture and posting it. And it went crazy. Mm -hmm. It was seen by like 50 million people or something. Mm -hmm. It was like ridiculous. And it resonated with people I wasn't obviously the only one who felt like that. Mm -hmm. God used that silly little picture of my letter board on my kitchen counters that I still have that I absolutely hate. (laughs) (laughs) And it's okay if you don't have the words. It's okay if you just sit and say, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Whatever you want to do with me, whatever is in me, whatever story you want to give me, whatever questions I have or fears or unanswered questions. God can handle all of it. He's so big. He's so big. And knowing that and leaning into that and trusting that he is who he says he is in this crazy culture where everyone's telling you what God is and who he is or who she is. And it's all just so subjective. And you're like, no, if there's such a thing as God, he couldn't possibly be subjective. It goes against everything that God is and could be, even just logically. And I think we're afraid. We're afraid of surrender. We're afraid of giving up our own pride and our will. And I get it. It is scary. It's not just us that struggles with that. The people in the Bible struggle with that too. They're constantly questioning God. Like, do you really mean that? Is that what you want for me? Are you sure? Yes. (laughs) And You know, this really is a journey. This really is a faith journey. It really is a relationship. And I know I keep saying it in this podcast that God isn't afraid of us or our stories or our questions, (laughs) but it's so true and it's so profound. And there's so much healing in that, just knowing that you're okay and you're safe and there is healing. His faithfulness doesn't get to you and then stop because you're too much for God. That's not true. Let's say somebody's listening that is going through some of the things that you've gone through. Maybe it's hard home situation. Maybe it's gaslighting. Maybe it's trauma, PTSD, depression, suicidal thoughts. Somebody's sitting in this place. What would you want to say to them if you could say something to them right now? I would say two things. One, if you're an adult child of abusive parents, honestly, I would start by leaning into who God is. And then I would get some very practical help. 
And there are a lot of great books and resources out there, but a great place to start is this book by Gary Thomas. It's called When to Walk Away. And it's very biblical, very sound, very practical. It talks about boundaries, but kind of specifically within families and friends. And then the second thing I would say is that if you're married to somebody who is abusive, especially if you have children, you need to take a good, hard look at what you're allowing And know that you have the power to step away. That doesn't necessarily mean you just call it quits all in one day. I think sometimes people can become toxic, like if they're dealing with things or just in a bad place. It doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to change. But just because they're in that place doesn't mean you have to be there with them. There's only so much you can do. And it is okay and even wise sometimes to step away. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to like file for divorce immediately or anything like that, but just getting away and getting that break because it is exhausting to live like that. And it is not good. It doesn't honor God to live like that. And on some level, you are allowing someone to abuse you and sin against you in the name of love. And I know that's really hard to hear, but It doesn't honor God to allow someone to sin against you. Mm. Abuse is sinful. It's horrible. It breaks God's heart. And you have more power than you realize to step up and speak out, even if it's really scary. Obviously, if it's like a very dangerous situation, you shouldn't announce that you're leaving. (laughs) You should just leave. It's such a hard space, right? It's super hard. What's encouraging is, and I (laughs) struggle to figure out the words to say it because it can sound so Christianese. And it's that God is God and God is good, that God is with us even in those hard situations. But in the midst of those situations, we can feel very alone. Yeah. (laughs) We can feel like we've been asking God. And yet that doesn't negate the reality of his presence. I think your story captures that, that, God was present the entire time. Yeah. And yet there were also times that things were really rough. Yeah. And that you were probably praying like, God, please fix this. Yes. And yet somehow he was still God and still good. And so, and it's it's hard to encourage people to trust that, but it's also important for people to know that that's a real thing. And so, you know, let's say somebody resonated with some of what you shared and maybe they want to glean off of what you've learned about God and all of this. What's the best way for them to connect with you or to connect with what you're doing? Probably just through my blog or my Instagram. They both have the same name. It's called She Writes It Plain. When I started that blog, I chose that name very intentionally because I am so bothered personally by people who just over explain everything and like over explain their motivations and every little nuance. I'm like, oh my goodness, let's just get to the point. People just need to hear the point, just be direct doesn't mean you're unkind or, you know, anything like that, but for heaven's sake, let's just speak plainly. That's really important to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's beneficial and needed. So that's why I had my blog title be She Writes It Plain. And I talk about abuse and trauma and even just practical things like how to tell if your abuser is actually changing or how to discipline your children in a healthy way after growing up in a home where discipline was not healthy. Yeah. I think it's a good mix of practical and scriptural and all the things. Yeah. And as we close out, is there anything else that God's putting on your heart that you feel like he's inviting you to share? I think I would just encourage people to open their Bibles I would say read stories of God, like maybe go to the Old Testament and read some stories. And before you read, just say a really quick prayer and say, God, show me who you are in this story. Because I believe that, yes, scripture tells us about us and who we are in Christ. But ultimately, it's the story of God at work in his people across time. And that's what transforms us. That's what changes us, heals us, and gives us a foundation of truth to stand upon is God and his character. And so get into scripture and ask God to show 
something about himself in the stories in scripture. Alicia was navigating an immensely difficult situation with her parents and had a hard decision ahead of her. Does she remain in close relationship or does she walk away or is there some other option? And as we tapped into, she could get a room of 10 people and get 10 different answers, ranging from family is the most important thing and you can't walk away to your health is the most important thing you need to walk away. And the way that Alicia and her husband ended up making that decision is by seeking God and seeking the counsel of others who are seeking God as well. And the reason this approach will take us a lot farther than the best self-help book is because this life is complicated and confusing, and sometimes what God is trying to accomplish may seem like foolishness to us. This means there may be times where he tells us to stay and other times where he tells us to go, and the only uniformity between the two is that it was his invitation. Now, this idea of boundaries actually comes up in Jesus' life as well. We get an example of it in John 2. Now, we know through so much of Jesus' life that he chose to stay at the table when the average person would have left. But starting in verse 23, we see something unique. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. In this moment, so many people were crowding around Jesus because of what he was doing, the miracles he was performing. And the average person might get caught up in this and devote themselves to this audience. But Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Jesus didn't just know people, but Jesus knew each person. He knew there were some that were only getting caught up in the entertainment of the miracles, but when the hard calls came, they would fall away. He knew there were others who desired power for themselves, and the moment he invited them to die to themselves, they would fall away. In fact, this interaction came shortly after he had cleared the temple, and so he was keenly aware of what religious people were capable of. But what he was looking for was disciples. Who he was willing to entrust himself to were those willing to entrust themselves to him. And so he set a boundary. There is an intentional limit to the depth of his engagement in certain spaces. And what we know about Jesus is this was spiritually discerned. It wasn't because he was annoyed at people. It wasn't because he was trying to create his own space. But he only did what he saw his father doing. I've often found myself having to spiritually discern when it comes to boundaries in relationships. And there have been many hard relationships that God has called me to remain and many hard relationships that God's given me a piece about setting boundaries around. And the more I've navigated this space, the more I've learned to discern what's going on within me as I'm intending to seek God. I've come to recognize just how sneaking my own desires and my own intentions can be to the decision-making process. And our desires aren't always bad, but sometimes our desire for security, for comfort, for personal justice can end up outweighing our desire to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The hard reality is that sometimes our seasons of suffering are the result of a hard relationship. And even harder is the reality that our intellect and the intellect of others may fall short from what is actually the abundantly more God has for us. But the good news is, is that God is not trying to hide from us. We are given the invitation to seek him first so that in those hard relationships, God can give us wisdom to discern whether to stay, whether to go, or whether to separate for a time. But we must approach this with humility, knowing that at the end of the day, the ultimate goal for those of us claiming to follow Christ is to love God and to love others. So if you find yourself in a hard situation today, know that God wants to equip you to love that God desires wisdom and discernment for you, and that he is not leaving you. Seek him first, take a step in whatever direction seems most likely towards him, and as he shows his creativity and how that relationship unfolds, ask yourself, where did you see God?
Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the person who doesn't want to read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com slash revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God? <laughs>